Well, if you've got your Uversion app open, you got your, you're on our website, on your phone or your tablet, or, or you've got just a good old trusty bulletin, let's get into the middle of this second part of I Love San Angelo. And let's just go ahead and jump into this. I've written here that we have an assignment to love everyone we contact, everyone we deal with, everyone we have any kind of encounter with. Even when we're on the phone with a representative of our company who is frustrating us, that's still a real person. And we have to push down our frustrations and deal with them like a human being God has called us to love even while we're conducting business. It in every person we come in contact with. See, this loving our neighbors thing starts not with the people who we share our street with, but it starts with the people that we share our roof and our same heritage with. This starts with our family. See, it's one thing to say that we're mission-minded, and it's one thing to say we want to love others that we come in contact with, and that those others that we come in contact with are, are far away and we can isolate ourselves. Okay, I can get psyched up, and now I'm going to... Maybe it's like this mission trip. If, if our mission's focus was only far away, within well, once a year... We could get real psyched up and real ready and we can go over to some place like the Navajo Nation or Acuna or, or some place like that and we could be real loving for a week and then we don't have to deal with it again. But see, this concept where it gets into our roofs, it gets into our families, this is where it really makes us have to really, really live it. And this is where it's really, really challenging See, this is our core scripture for this whole series. Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Aren't we thankful for freedom in Christ? But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. The sinful nature is focused on self. It is selfish. Don't do that. Don't use your freedom to be selfish. To think about what you want, what you need, all of you, 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 you. It says, rather serve one another in love. Put others first. All of a sudden, begin to do things that are practical. Don't just have a a warm fuzzy. It says, serve one another in love. The entire law, all of it, all of the the thickness of the Torah, the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, all of that is summed up in this right here. We can live it in its fullness if we will simply love our neighbors as ourself. The <clears throat> theologian from the 1600s, Thomas Fuller, made this phrase that we've heard over and over and over again, um, but it, it's a little longer. We've heard the first part, charity begins at home. And, but his full phrase was charity begins at home, but should not end there. It starts there. And he is so true. This whole I love San Angelo, this this charity, this giving, this serving, it should begin and foster and grow right under our noses. It, it, should, it should impact the people that, that we impact the most. And it should inspire and cultivate. Um, now, we were traveling back um, from uh, a, uh, my very first bar mitzvah. I'd never been a part of a bar mitzvah before. And I were traveling back from... Um, uh, my nephew's uh, bar mitzvah, and he did a fantastic job. He was just, I was just very, very proud of him. And um, so we're coming back, and I guess my son, Carson, had been reminded because we ate, 
We ate those real nice, big, awesome muffins for breakfast. So we're on the highway back, and Carson pipes up just kind of out of nowhere. He just gets this total random thing. And he says, uh, he says Dad, um, well, let me backtrack. I'll set it up. A few years ago, we'd gone on a trip, and we'd stayed at a place that provided breakfast for free. And so and they had these nice, awesome Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate chip brownie muffin things. And a nice little package sealed up. And so my wife has an affinity for chocolate. So she took one and saved it. So when we were headed home, we would get about, I don't know, an hour from home. And she begins to open her little brownie up, her little muffin up. And she's opening it up, and for some reason, I don't know why, I just roll the window down. I roll my, my driver's window down. And she doesn't, for some reason, doesn't think that's odd that we're going 70 miles an hour down the road. And I roll the window down. And uh, so I roll the window down, and she is bringing the, brown, the, the muffin up to her face. And I just reach over there and grab it, <laughs> throw it out the window. 70 miles an hour, and she's just sitting there like this. Um, now, I knew better than such. I knew better than such. When she was pregnant with our first kid, I took a brownie out of her hand and ate it in front of her. She chased me all around the church fellowship hall, ends up doing a belly flop. Everybody hated me for about a week and a half. It was really terrible. <laughs> I knew better than to take chocolate away from her. And so, and of course, our kids are witnessing that, and we just all bust up laughing that I had done that, and, and I'm still trying to, and I don't know why I did, it was funny to me. And, uh, and so, but so, yeah, it was funny to me. Everything was biodegradable, I really wasn't messing with Texas, it was two weeks later, it was gone, folks. And, um, and so, we're on the way back, and Carson says, says, uh, whenever I get married, Dad, and my wife is about to eat a muffin. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to chunk it out the window. I was like, Carson, that was, one of the, that was one of the low points of my life as a husband. I said, it was funny, but it was low. I said, you, should, you shouldn't do that. And then Lulu pipes up and says, well, says, well I'm going to do that to my husband. And I'm going to grab his muffin and I'm going to throw it out the window. And so I said, I said why don't y'all want to do the nice stuff that I do? And she says, well, that... They can barely count those things on one hand, Bran. <laughs> there we go, the music. And so uh, they, uh, every once in a while we get theme music come in. So those who have been with us for a while know it will go away in just a second. Anyways, but that thing that, that what, what we're doing at home, we're cultivating that. I am training my kids with every little interaction on what to do. I am my my good deeds, my they ought to be inspiring. Sadly, some of my ornery stuff has brought some inspiration. I think my uh I uh I think my wife was wishing that I had been a little bit better example of a husband through the time. But that it begins at home. Those things are impact. It begins right there where our kids and those that we love the most that they're witnessing and they're a part of our everyday experience. And, and that is where it's our primary mission field. See, First John 4 says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. If we say that we love God, 
but there's somebody that's close to us that we just can't stand. That says, that's just not right. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, part of this thing, this I hearts and angel, this is part of our worship. This isn't just, okay, well, now I have to go out and I have to serve these people that irritate me. No, this is part of our service to God. This is part of our expression of our love for God because he loved us first. It ought to just begin to flow through and impact everything and jesus even had to confront this because because this family life this this household thing it's been it's a cherished part of of the jewish culture but yet there were traditions that were coming in that said okay all of a sudden you don't you don't have to serve your family anymore if you can put it in the right mindset let's look at mark 7 jesus says you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of god course the ultimate command is to love your neighbor as yourself so this this is weaseling out of this in on some fashion in order to observe your own traditions for moses said honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death this is a big deal this is a big deal. This is a servant in your household thing. This is a loving your family in a practical way kind of thing and comes with some significant consequences when it was originally handled, handed down. But you say, this is what God had said, but you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is korban. It is a gift to God. Everything that I would have done for you and honoring you, I'm now going to turn that to God. And I'm not going to do anything for you. And this is now all a gift to God. And all of a sudden, the Jewish tradition at that time embraced that and said, Okay, you can, you can give your family the stiff arm if you say, It's for God. It's all for God. You can do that. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. And thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Over and over again, we will try to figure out reasons and justify. Sometimes even in the name of God. Of why we don't have to be kind and helpful with our family. Well, I don't have to because they're, they're not even believers and they just do stupid stuff all the time and the problems that they have, they've brought on themselves with their sinful living and I'm just keeping myself holy unto God and I don't want to get into that mess and I'm going to stay over here and I'm not going to be involved in my family's drama because I'm so presenting my whole life to God. How many times have we try to find that whole thing? Well, wait a second. I'm supposed to have this incredible significant love impact on my sphere of influence am i rationalizing why my devotion to god makes it where i don't have to love these people in a practical way anymore we we can't ignore this we can't ignore this I'm not saying that we just 
write checks till our bank account's gone with freeloading relatives. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the fact of being practically being compassionate, given your family who is in, in its dire need as somebody on the street, letting the Holy Spirit speak to you about them, even though you know more details than you wish you knew. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you to move in their lives just like you would somebody else you knew no details about. That's what I'm talking about. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to, to not, for us to not categorize and say, ah, that person has hurt my feeling Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving and I'm done with them and God, I'll minister to anybody but aunt so-and-so. I'm done with her. God, you got a lot of other kids. Use one of them. No, we can't do that. We can't do that if it doesn't impact. If our love for our neighbor cannot impact our immediate sphere of influence, ultimately it can't really impact anything. Because guess what? You will eventually get to know these other people as well as you know them, and they'll get under your skin and you'll cut them off too. So we learn this sticking it out and dealing with it and serving everyone and humility in our family first. It's where it begins. See, serving well at home, folks, it's even the baseline for spiritual leadership. Promotion, as far as ministry and God and even like assignments, as we're about to look here at a, at a passage of Scripture, where it's like if somebody wants to be an elder in the church, wants to be a leader, an overseer in the church, that there's some qualifications. We don't have a list of qualifications to be a believer, to just be a child of God. We just simply have to call on the name of the Lord and recognize it, and that's it. But then as to, as to, to be used and on some different focus, on some different levels, there's some qualifications begin to come in on that level. And let's look at 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. It says, he must, this is the guy who wants to be in leadership in the church, be used in a greater way by God. He must handle his own affairs or own household. Other translations say, well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if someone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? Remember the faithful over little principle and be given much? When we have our own household, we have a ministry base right there. And if we can't minister to them, what means that we're going to be able to minister on another level? That's why it's such a big deal for us as a church to take care of the kids and, 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 to, and the teens and to disciple the young people that we know we have an assignment to disciple. We can't get away from that. We know we have an assignment for that. And we can't go, okay, God, bring us more, bring us more, bring us more, if we're not taking care of business right here. We can't do that. It's goofy. And why would God, why would God do that? It's like, no, take care of, this, of what you've got. And then if, you're, if your leadership is there where you can handle some more, I'll give you some more. That's what this is about. And we have to deal with it. And that's dealing at home is dealing with a source. Our entire life ebbs and flows and all of that. My, <clears throat> had a, you've heard my first Mustang story, my 67 Mustang. 
years later, I got a 66, and I didn't love it quite as much as I love my 60, my 67, but right after I got it, it had set for years and years and years, and we got it for a really good deal, one of those under a tarp in a carport kind of finds. I mean, it was just, we got a really good deal on it, and um, the uh, uh, got it worked on and fired up, and uh, but I had to be able to drive it for about 15, 20 miles, and I'd have to replace the fuel filter and deal with something with the fuel filter. And so uh, we figured, okay, there's just a little bit of the junk in the lines or whatnot. So I'm driving it for, honestly, I, I deal with this for a couple of months. And then one time I even make a little run to the Sand Hills. I lived in Odessa and the Monahans, about 30 minutes away. And I'm having to pull over about every 10 miles and I've run out of fuel filters. And then I'm crawling on the car on I-20 and blowing out the other end to kind of get the junk out of it, see if I can get five more miles. And so, and I'm constantly, I'm just burning up fuel filters and saying, okay, and just got to, got to get all of this little bit of, of, of trash out so that I can, I can give to the engine the, the good stuff that it needs. Well, you know what was the problem? It was the tank. The tank was full of junk. And it was a ton of work and a pain and slow and sluggish to try to filter out so I could make sure that none of the junk for where it was stored passed on so that it could do get what it needed. Eventually, we changed the tank. Got rid of the source of the junk. And then there was no problems. That's why our home life, that's why who we are at our core is so important in ministry. We could think that we could have all of this stuff happening privately. Remember, he says, you've got freedom, but don't use it selfishly and put all this junk in your tank and think, okay, well, well, when I've got to dole it out to the world, I can filter it and just give them the good stuff they can use. No, we got to deal with it. We want to. We want to deal with it at the source. Some of us, we need to at our very in our homes. Go, God, let's have a revolution in my house. I'm, some of us are saying, God, bring revival to our city. Let's say, God, bring revival to my home. God, bring revival to my house. God, bring revival to my marriage. God, bring revival to the way I deal with my kids, and my kids deal with me. God, bring revival right there. That's where it changes. I'm telling you, that's the kind of thing you can't stop. That's the kind of catalyst and change that it impacts the world is when we really let it infect our home. It changes. It changes everything. So we're quickly going to look at some practical ways about serving at home. One thing about we can love in a practical way. We can love by serving your family to bring a servant leader. Obviously, those who are, who are, who are married without kids, you're, 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 you're helping to lead each other and anybody else you have in contact with. And then when you go with your family and you're with family outings or family events or holidays, we can get in and just practically do things. We can be one of the first ones to begin to do the dishes at the holidays. They're in our own homes, guys, men. We can, we can put the remote down and we can lead the take the trash out revolution in our home by gathering it ourselves and putting it together and then saying, hey, hey, you know what? It's bagged up. All right, Junior, you finish it. You f- take us home. You're the final leg. Daddy's gathered it. You take it to the alley and put it in there. We're serving Mama. Mama don't like a full trash can. 
We can do these different things. We can serve in a practical, in a practical way. True, true leadership under kingdom principles comes through servanthood. Matthew 20 says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. I'm your boss and you better respect me. I'm the one in charge and you better not let me. It's the normal thing of the day. It says, and their high officials exercise their authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guess what? Part of serving is giving your life. Is giving your life. That's the whole thing. And dads, especially with little kids, listen to me, I'm not beating you up here. But little kids only understand the practical servitude. They don't understand this concept of what you're doing. The incredible sacrifice you're making when you're away from the house and you're earning those dollars and you're paying the rent and all of that stuff that happens behind the scene. They don't, they don't get it at a young age. And so even though you are serving the family in an incredible way by being a faithful uh, provider, guess what? When you hit the front door, your servanthood can't stop there. You have to go, okay, let me regroup. Hey, buddy, do you need help with your homework? Hey, sweetheart, what's for dinner? What can I do? Okay, hey, hey, let's, let's get this. How, how, what's, what little honeydews need to be done around the house? What are some practical ways? How can I serve? Ultimately, if we're going to be the chief leaders in our home, we have to be the chief servants in our home. Bless God that I got a hold of this years and years ago as a young man, and I made a decision a long time ago that nobody's going to outserve my family more than me. Nobody will. I just made a decision a long time ago. And guess what? Thank goodness I have, to this date, I've not had my kids buck my authority. I've not had them, well, hey, what gives you the right to sit down and throw out things? Because they know. Ain't nobody working for the family harder than daddy. Ain't nobody putting in more than daddy. I'm not patting myself on the back. It was a conviction that grew just out of what God revealed to me. And this is where it has to be. We, by serving our families, moms are good at this. Moms are good at this. And this is what we have to watch out for. And this is free right here, folks. Because well, this wasn't on the notes. But, but on, on scripturally, we see that the husband's the head of the home. Okay? We see it. We can argue it. We can puff up against it all we want. We say our culture may hate it. It's just the truth. Anything with two heads is a freak. There's got to be a head. But this is a servant head. This isn't a lord. This isn't a boss. This comes with a ton of responsibility and a ton of humility. But that's the way it is. It's set. Kingdom-wise, it's set that way. But here's this other principle. That if you want to be the leader, you have to be a servant. So what we can, at, we can happen is, guys, if we set back, we can abdicate our place to, to be the boss if we let mom out service. If we come in and we sit in our recliner and we hit our clicker or we go hang out in our shop or we do whatever the heck we want to do and mom's the one who makes every sandwich and mom's the one that kisses every boo-boo and mom's the one that does every sense of practical felt need ministry to those kids all of a sudden in their eyes, she's a leader. 
And all of a sudden, we have one who has the right to rule and one who's earned the right to rule. And tension in that home shows up. It's so much easier when the one who's supposed to be the head also has it by servanthood. It just brings life. It brings life. That was totally free. Men, do not stone me. Um, wives, do not use that to beat your husbands up. They heard it. You don't have to use it. 1 Corinthians 9.19 Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. We can make ourselves a slave to our families. A humble servant to win them. Let's serve in practical ways. Love your family also by meeting practical needs. Let's look at 1 Timothy 5. It says, everyone who does not provide for his relatives. Now, this is talking in the, about in the context of, the, of dealing with widows. Okay, this was a big issue because there weren't any government programs or any of that kind of stuff. A woman didn't have an income. She was out on her own and is a beggar. And, and, and Paul's saying, this isn't right. And especially for his immediate family. If someone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and it's worse than an unbeliever. If there's somebody in our own family and they're in genuine need and we... It's not my, not my bad, not my responsibility. And this is, this is new covenant. This is Mr. Grace, Paul talking. He says, you're worse than an unbeliever. We have an assignment to minister to our families. We do. Again, this is not talking about every cousin and whatnot who says, you know, I'm in this place, can you give me $100 and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm talking about people in genuine need. I'm not talking about opening our resources and being taken advantage of. I'm talking about letting the Holy Spirit speak to us and taking it seriously. And the next one is, is love your family by sharing what God has done for you. Your testimony is the most precious thing you have. How sad for it for us to live our lives and there be awesome things God's done in our life and our families not even know about it. Our kids not even know about it. Share the miracles that God has done. Share the, the wins that God has brought into your life. In fact, let's look here at, at Mark um, uh, at Mark chapter 5. It says, Jesus... Um, Mark chapter 5 verse 19 Jesus did not let him this guy wanted to follow Jesus he had just been set free from some demons he says go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and the next one is you can love your family by letting them see you worship one of the best parenting advices I ever got, Pastor John, who was here a few weeks ago, told me, he said, he said, Brandon, whenever you pray, leave the door cracked. Don't hold yourself up where your kids can't be around. So when you're reading the Bible, don't do it in some simply secluded place. It may be easier and the kid's not running through. He said, but they need to see you do it. They need to see you pray. They need to see you read. They need to see you reach out and, and pray for your wife and, and minister to people and do those things. Let them see it. Let them witness your life of worship. Let them see it. I'm telling you, there's more caught than taught. I didn't teach my kids on purpose to throw muffins out the window. 
They caught it because it's what daddy did. See, my oldest son, he, he understood it years ago. He was about five years old, and Weston was still in the high chair. He's about one years old. And uh, Weston was just sitting there. We're all busy in the kitchen, and we're just overhearing this. There's just an interaction, and Weston's sitting there, and, and Keenan walks up to him, and uh, he says, Weston, I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. Okay. And, uh, of course, there's all sorts of things, you know, you know, daddy's in ministry and teaches. And so I thought maybe he'd do something like that or or who knows what was going to happen. So I just stayed. I didn't bring attention to it. Just let it play out. So he said, I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God. And my son taught me something that day. And he just throws his hands up, five years old, and he starts singing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory. And he just begins to just sing and demonstrate for his one-year-old little brother that that's what it is to be a man of God. To throw your arms up right there in the middle of the kitchen and worship God. Let it impact every piece of your life. Acts 10 says at Caesarea, the first Gentile to get saved. Look at his life. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and his family were devout and God-fearing, and he had given generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. His household was included in it. His family was included in it. Guess what? When Peter comes and he shares the gospel, not just Cornelius gets saved that day, his whole household as a group, they're the first group of Gentiles, non-Jews, to embrace Jesus as the Savior. He lived it out. He wasn't a minister. He was a soldier. And he lived it out at home. This is how we serve our families, folks. We were created to know God and to help others to know Him too. And God works through us in real acts of service to show His love to a hurting world. Today, families, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you over Sunday lunch. If you have kids, mom and dad, I want you to simply share with them how you came to Christ. It doesn't have to be a big, keep it on the age-appropriate level. Some have some pretty significant testimonies, but keep it on an age-appropriate level, but let them know. Let them know. My kids know that I was on a Royal Ranger camp out at seven years old, sitting around a campfire, and I came to Christ. They know the story. They know the story of my wife praying with my mom at 18 years old after she had spent a week with some goofball Christians that love God. They know the story. Let them know. If you've already shared with them, share with them again. Let's begin to practically love our families today. And see, folks, this is, like I said earlier today, there's no prerequisite to join the family of God. There's not, a, there's not something you have to do in advance. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's, you're ready right now. All you have to do is say, you know what? My sin is... Needed death done. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus did a death. And I'm going to take his death and account it. And put it with my sin. And then my sin's dealt with. And now I'm going to take his life. And I'm going to live that life. Not my own, but his. 
If that's you, if you're ready to do that this morning, I want everybody to just kind of bow your heads. And that's you this morning. I want you to just raise your hand up. I want you to just raise your hand if that's you. And we're just going to pray with you. Let's not delay. Let's get this rocking right now. Well, bless God. I want you to stand up. All of you to stand up.